From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As anticipated, it was a great night for former Gators in the NFL Draft, with eight players being taken over the three-day event in Philly. On today's show, we'll recap the draft madness with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and get to know Gators softball senior pitcher Delaney Gorley ahead of senior weekend for the number one team in the nation. But kicking off with football, it wasn't a surprise to see nearly half of Florida's starting defense drafted and dispersed throughout the NFL. In a conversation that also included the latest on Gator baseball and softball, we begin our roundtable with Scott Carter and Chris Harry by discussing Jared Davis, the first Gator taken off the board. You know, you wondered where he was going. The talk was a potential first round, high second round. And that's just a case of him being a guy who really won over a lot of teams after they interviewed him because he uh, was unable to uh, compete in combine but did great at the pro day here at UF. And then he started meeting these teams, and they were clearly impressed by his leadership qualities. Just a down-to-earth, uh, real guy, and uh, I think he's going to be a good player. I mean, according to what's coming out of Detroit, they're looking for him to move right in and be their middle linebacker. So talk about a good opportunity. Then after him, you know, Quincy Wilson goes to the Colts, uh, Marcus May to the uh, Jets, and Tease Tabor uh, went to Detroit where he'll be a teammate at Davis. Mm-hmm. So he had the three defensive backs going there in the uh, second round. I think that's what the first time that's ever happened uh, in one round for Florida. Beyond that, I mean, nothing really major surprised me except Caleb Brantley. We talked about last week how his status was really uncertain and that played out during the draft because he goes to the sixth round, the uh, first pick of the sixth round by the Browns. And immediately after he gets picked, you know, even the Browns are saying, you know, we're still researching mm-hmm. his case. We're not sure how long we'll keep him around, but you know, if we get the right information that we're looking for, you know, he has a chance to to prove here. But you know, I mean, really, just a significant loss of money for Caleb Brantley because let's say he doesn't have that off the field incident, I still think he's probably going to be early second, mm-hmm. late second uh, at the latest. So we're talking yeah. about the difference about 150 picks, right? I mean, that's yeah, worst case went, scenario, he went yeah, 185 right. overall. A hundred minimum, you're talking right. about a lot of money. The right? difference in guaranteed money as well yeah. from being a high pick to a low pick. Yeah, and, you know, going in on a contract where it was probably some of your best years. What, what did they sign, Chris? Four-year rookie contracts with an option for a fifth? I believe it's a three and a four, I think. It's okay, well, either way, you're going to give maybe a team, if he does turn out to be a player, some of your best years at a relatively cheap rate. So it could be a still for and, Cleveland. And you're also getting much more – your signing bonus can be much higher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, if, if you're if you're a second-round draft pick sure. and a six-round draft pick, it's going to be next to nothing for so a six-round draft pick. he was probably the guy who suffered the most. But for the most part, I think it was a good draft. They, what, eight players drafted mm-hmm. about – what we expected. I wasn't for sure if Joey Ivey was going to get drafted, but it was cool to see him to go to the Cowboys. And Great I watched, story. Yeah, I watched his phone call with uh, Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett. It was just a nice exchange he had with those guys. You could tell that, uh, you know, they like him, and uh, he obviously was very elated to get drafted there, and uh, we'll see how he does. I'll, but, say, I'll say this about that, if I will. Uh, covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers like I did for nine years, I got to know Rod Marinelli. 
And uh, mm-hmm. he's one of the best defensive line coaches in the history of the game. So here's Joey Ivey, a guy who's kind of from the Bay Area a little bit. Yep. Probably grew up as a Buck fan. I don't know that for a fact. He did. He uh, was he actually did. born right across right. from Raymond James. Raymond James. All right, there you go. But Rod Marinelli is going to get the best out of Joey Ivey. And Joey Ivey obviously is a guy who's a – you know, no one ever questioned his effort here, and, and he was a really, really good player, try-hard player, and productive player when he was healthy. But uh, Rod Marinelli will get the best out of yeah. that kid for sure, yeah. And last but not least, Adam, I think got to touch on Tabor because he was one of the more intriguing picks. Mm-hmm. His stock fell because of those 40 times, but he still goes 53rd overall, second round. He It was funny because – Marcus May gets picked by the Jets. Seven picks later, Quincy Wilson goes to the Colts. Seven picks later, Tabor goes to Detroit. DBU. Yeah, and so, you know, you look at it. At the start of the year, would have I put them in that order? Probably not. But at the same time, they all go within 14 picks of each other. Uh, and I think, again, I think uh, Tabor's going to be a pretty good NFL player. And their GM up there, Bob Quinn, said that he had never spent so much time looking at tape of any individual player because he'd heard all this stuff about him mm-hmm. being slow. And he says he said exactly what Jalen said, just press play. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he does his thing, and uh, it's going to be fun to see how he develops. Obviously, we talked last week about how the team's going to take a chance on Alex Anzalo, and really mm-hmm. a third-round pick's not taking a chance. They yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. you, you invest a third-round pick in, in that kid, you know, they're, they're going to expect things out of him at the New Orleans Saints, which is obviously a team that – has really struggled on the defensive side of the ball. So I would imagine he go in there and get a shot right away. I think so. And uh, mm-hmm. his only question is, can he stay healthy? I mm-hmm. think I think everybody really loves him. When his. he's healthy, he's super productive. Yeah. And he's going to be, you know, he's like Chris said, he's got a chance. Uh, linebacker was not the Saints' strength last year. They did sign a name from the past. To what? Manta Teo. Yeah. yeah. He's on the roster. Uh, they not sure a, if his girlfriend is in the area or not. Don't but. know that, Adam. I cannot <laughs> confirm that. But anyway, uh, Alex, if he's healthy, he'll go in there with a chance to contribute. The Caleb Brantley story was kind of a microcosm for this entire draft in terms of players who had some real character concerns but potential huge upside. We saw that play throughout the entire draft, especially the first couple rounds. The flip side of that, I think from the Florida perspective, which I really like, is that you've got two guys in Marcus May and Jared Davis – both coming off injuries, who had to answer a lot of the questions about how they would be at the next level through their interviews and through what they were able to do off the field. So the fact that both of them get to be really high picks, that, and that seems to be a strong statement for what character does for you. And the fact that being a good guy and doing things the right way can pay off. Obviously, these guys do their homework. They come here on site and they mm-hmm. talk to trainers. They talk to assistant coaches. They talk to uh, uh, equipment people. They want to know how these guys treat people. And they don't like to hear stuff about guys that are big time and guys and what have you. And if, if that's the case, you better be really, really good. You know, yeah, well, they t- some teams take the chance, sure. But you're only going to get high marks when you're talking about character with Jared Davis and with Marcus May. I mean, uh, I would imagine that, like Scott and I talked about this last week, Jared Davis' mom, I mean, this is a reflection. This is a guy from a hell of a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I can only imagine just how impressive he probably was in these interviews where, you know, basically I'm sure he did some at the Combine or whatever and certainly in these private interviews here. And I'm sure, you know, talking to the coaches and everybody else, flying colors for Jared Davis and, of course, the whole Marcus May story, the pitchers. And we knew he was going to – he had bypassed the chance to be in Philadelphia for the draft. But the actual pictures and the footage of him in his in his cap and gown at commencement ceremonies, mm-hmm. uh, that was some cool stuff that came out of our Gator Vision people. Good job to them. And I think it also speaks to the fact that they were the first two Gators drafted. Sure. And they were also two guys who came back for their senior yes. season. Uh, you remember last year this time both had opportunities to enter the draft. Uh, they would have probably been selected 
uh, last year, but they stayed. They came back. They got better. Uh, even though they got hurt, they didn't hurt their chances there. And, uh, and, and speaking along the character line, uh, I just think it's going to be more of a issue as it goes forward because we do know more about these guys than mm-hmm. ever before. And, you know, teams are investing millions of dollars on these guys to provide a, a service, basically. And uh, if you can't rely on them, why take them? I read a great story speaking along these lines yesterday about a, a scout. This scout says it's not uncommon that they'll go out and they'll, they'll even put on disguises and stuff and go to bars and restaurants where they know these guys hang out. They'll observe them. They'll <laughs> talk to the bartenders. Wow. Like, are, are these guys coming in here regularly? How do they treat people? So if you are a uh, – if you're an NFL prospect and uh, you've got some stuff, shady stuff going on, it's probably going to be found out. Another guy we haven't mentioned, David Sharp, went in the fourth round. He's a guy who left early. If we look across the board at the Gators that were taken, which one do you think is in the best position for early success? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, just from reviewing yesterday, looking at all these rosters and stuff, I think Jared has a chance to make an impact right away because he's going to get a lot of playing time. You, know, you look at Quincy Wilson uh, going to Colts. Uh, I think that secondary is one that you know he should be able to play in the first year there. Uh, Marcus May. I mean, they're that secondary is in flux. I mean, they they were one of the worst secondaries in the league last year and giving mm-hmm. up long plays. I know they want him to come in there and contribute right away. They drafted two safeties as a yeah, result. Uh, Jamal right, Adams, yeah, yeah, Jamal here. Adams, and both of those guys by all accounts, should get every chance to win a job or win playing time right off the bat. Think those guys will be arguing about DBU in the locker room or on the field? <laughs> probably They're a little bit of that. Probably good, good naturedly. <laughs> I think it would be good. They already made good. a couple of jokes on Twitter afterwards. That's cool. So it was cool. But, yeah. you know, I've always thought a huge thing that can make a difference for a young player going into the league is getting with a good team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the higher you go in the draft, the likelier you're joining a, a bad team. But, uh you know, uh, you look at the guys who went for Florida. I mean, Joey Ivey going to the Cowboys, that's a team that was right on the verge of Super Bowl last year. I mean, is he going to go in there as a guy that they're going to say, hey, we need you to be one of the, uh, our go-to guys? No, but that can help a player when he mm-hmm. when he's around good players on a good team. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he could surprise some people down the road. I'm on board with Quincy Wilson. I mean, the Colts are a team that needs defense. I think that guy's a really, really good player. Your, your expectation as a, a general manager, let's face it, as a fan, a guy's drafted in the second round, you expect him to play and play a lot. Mm-hmm. And I would think that Quincy Wilson can step right into uh, the situation with the Colts. And the Colts drafted defense because they wanted – they're trying to help Andrew Luck from outside in. So let's get him the ball back more. So I would imagine the expectation for Quincy Wilson would be to come in and play and produce right away. It wasn't just a good day for Florida. It was another great day for the SEC. Not surprisingly, Alabama led the way with 10 overall picks. What do we think overall about the SEC's performance? Who stood out? Who maybe was surprising in terms of a lack of picks? I think for the 11th straight year, the SEC had the most players drafted. But, I mean, you're looking at Alabama with 10. I mean, I, <laughs> they had four first-round draft picks. And uh, if we were sitting here in last October or going into the SEC championship game, would you have thought Jonathan Allen was one of the best players in the country? Like a, a top one, two, three, one yeah. of the top three picks, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, he falls all the way to uh, to 17th because, I guess, concerns over a, over a shoulder injury or what have you. But you just look at the at the high end. See, Tennessee had six players drafted. Did you know, and you probably did, but you may have forgotten, they didn't have a player picked the last two NFL drafts, the That's University of Tennessee. And they used to annually put one, two – they would have guys, mm. high draft picks. They didn't have any players picked 
the last couple years. And so, uh, and I know that was a bone of contention for a lot of Tennessee fans. Um, of obviously LSU, Florida, both with eight. Texas A&M with the first pick in the draft. They had five. Auburn had four, and then kind of thins out after that. Arkansas with three. Vanderbilt with two. Georgia, Mississippi State, Missouri only with one. Missouri had a first round draft pick, uh, and none by Kentucky and South Carolina. But um, I think Kentucky and South Carolina are going to have some NFL picks down mm-hmm. the line. But um, those are teams right there that obviously Florida will see this season. But, I mean, it's no surprise that the SEC put a bunch of players in the NFL draft. How about Georgia? One draft pick for Georgia. That's very – I mean, especially – usually they put a few defensive guys yes. out there at least. That's a, a really big surprise. Yes, I was surprised by that too, Adam. I mean, obviously that's why they hired Kirby Smart, I guess. And, the, you know, he's a, he had a hand in a lot of these Alabama players mm-hmm. who got drafted. Sure. He recruited those guys. So, you know he's a good recruiter. You know eventually he'll get the kind of players he wants at Georgia. Uh, so I wouldn't expect that trend to continue with him if he, if he finds some success there. Uh, but, again, it goes back, you know, every year, you know, people kind of make fun of the SEC for maybe celebrating the fact that they got all these recruits and mm-hmm. these draft picks and they're number one in, in the NFL draft. But uh, the numbers back it up, and that's why you see such a high caliber of football in the league because the NFL teams recognize that and that's why you're going to see a lot of these guys play up there for years to come I'm, the, I'm looking at Alabama they had they had nine guys taken in the first three rounds so yeah. I mean there's is there any wonder that's why they win that's why Nick Saban now makes 11 million dollars a year saw that today the uh, latest contract yeah so we're pushing it out of what if, if he stays till he's 72 he'll make the balance of the, I think is it 64 million dollars 60, yeah 64 65 million <laughs> A lot of big names went in the draft, but there are some names who didn't get drafted then were immediately picked up by teams as free agents. That's not insignificant because that was Brian Poole a year ago, and then Brian Poole started in the Super Bowl. So where did some of the Gators go that were not drafted but were going to get invited to camps? Yeah, you had a few Gators who did land with teams right after the draft. That's the case every year. Uh, you mentioned Poole is kind of a uh, – he, he really took it to another level. But, but mm. you know, this year I don't know if the prospects are there for a player to break out like that. you got Austin Appleby going to the Cowboys, Ahmad Fullwood to the Saints. Uh, Chris Thompson tweeted that he was headed for Houston. And Brian Cox, you know, to Carolina. I think, you know, you look at those guys in that group, and I look at Brian Cox, you know, maybe being the best uh, opportunity there among that group because, you know, Brian I think can still improve in the – He's going to a, a situation that looks sounds pretty good for him. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, stick there. Some of the other guys that we mentioned are probably more long shots, but you know, Chris Thompson, for instance, they're talking about maybe his his chance to be an NFL is, is to play defensive back. You know, he he did that a little bit, but mostly was a kick returner and didn't do a lot on the receiving end, although he had that great speed. So they'll try him at different positions, and that's what you do when you're in that position, man. If a team calls and says, hey, we'd like to you to come there at camp and try out, you you do whatever they ask because it's your one chance maybe to – Ask to, Quentin Dunbar how it works. Sure. Yeah. Question. yeah, no doubt. I mean, I would not have guessed that either. And he's still in the league, right? Not only he's still in the league, he's a starting nickel back on, yeah. a, on a team that's, you know, that's, wins games. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. pretty amazing. So uh, you'll hear about those stories once more. We'll see if we have one this year. Last week we talked about the latest grad transfer for Florida – and that's, that's been a, a pretty big part of Gator basketball here in recent years, especially highlighted by Canyon Berry. It was an interesting piece by Kevin Brockway I saw uh, with the Gainesville Sun, just talking about grad transfers in basketball and, and if, if this is a good thing. Is it becoming too big of a thing to where the NCAA is going to get in and try and change the rules? 
how do you feel about it in terms of your perspective from what you've seen on grad transfers and their impact in college basketball? Oh, boy. Um, let's just apply it to, to what Florida does. Okay, Florida's in a situation where I'm Mike White, and I'm trying to rebuild a program. Mm-hmm. And I instantly found somebody who could help me right away in Canyon Berry. Um, we're flip-flopping the one-and-dones here. Okay, basically. So sure. you're getting, instead of, of getting a, a 17 or 18 year old kid uh, that you're developing, or in the case of a Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina, instead of getting a ready made one year away NBA player who really isn't that interested, whose agenda is all about getting myself ready to leave in nine months, mm. you're getting a guy who's trying to place himself in an ideal situation to win. Okay, so that's a good place to start, actually. Now you got to find the right fit, okay? And the fit has to be both ways. Kenny Berry was a great fit, obviously, here because he was willing to sacrifice. Um, this is a guy who was a starter, who, who if he hadn't got hurt, he was probably going to lead his league in scoring. Wherever else he could have gone would be at Miami or Northwestern, I think, were his other two choices. He would have been a prominent player, probably would have started, and instead he comes here as first guy off the bench, six-man a year, played starter minutes at him at 24 minutes, 25 minutes a game, but did it in the scheme of the program, mm-hmm. of the system, and the, both sides benefited from it. You couldn't have said the same thing, say, two years ago when they brought John Horford in from Michigan didn't fit in with the team, didn't fit in the locker room, you know, had a couple of decent games, but otherwise didn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, that's possible. I mean, um, now the Gators are stepping out and they're bringing in uh, Igor Kolashev. And, you know, by all accounts, the guy's been through. He got along great with everybody. Uh, he got along with guys who he may compete for or starting minutes. So it, it goes back to fit because this guy has already got his degree, probably not going to the NBA. Okay. Uh, well, Kenyon Barry is, has his sights set on playing professional basketball. He mm-hmm. hopes he gets a shot to play on a roster or anything. If they were NBA players, I think we had this conversation before. Patrick Young came in as everyone thought he was going to be a one and done. Mm-hmm. His his NBA stock decreased the longer, the longer he, he stayed. stayed the less, and, right. and yet he probably became a better player. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he was the best post player in the country by the time he got out of here. Now that wasn't good enough for him to get on an NBA roster. It's good enough for him to make a lot of money overseas, though. And I don't know how, what Igor's thought process is right now, mm-hmm. what he thinks beyond this year. But he has a sports management degree already. And now he's coming here to try to get in the NCAA tournament and try to win a championship of some kind. And there is a business model potential in that. If you could get one and, and score on one every year, it's kind of a, just a different way to go about it. And until they change it, why should, why should anyone look at it any differently? I, I don't think it's any different than, than signing a one-and-done to win right away. You're bringing in a guy for one year to win right away. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference in it. Otherwise, you're, except you're getting a more mature kid. Let's hit some baseball and softball before we wrap up your first baseball a uh, really good weekend on the road at Georgia, and I'll come back home with a little momentum. Yeah, they went up and got a sweep. And I don't know if you saw Sunday's game. The Dalton Guthrie Show. The Dalton show. Guthrie yeah. Show. I didn't see the game live, and I, but I saw some quotes from Kevin O'Sullivan afterwards saying he, don't, he doesn't know if he's ever seen a better game by an infielder. And Sully's not one to overblow things. So mm-hmm. when he says something like that, I'm like, okay, i got to take a look. And I saw the plays. I mean, Guthrie was doing Ozzy Smith stuff out there. But, uh, you know – just a good weekend for Florida. And, you know, there's been all this talk about how this Gators team, you know, maybe is not as good as some recent teams, and they've been behind in the stings. But you look at the SEC standings, Adam, and right now the best record in the league plays 14-7. and seven. The Gators are 13-8, and eight, so they're only a game back at Kentucky in the east, and then a couple teams in the west are at 14-7. and uh, seven. So uh, this week, you know, you got the big series against Ole Miss here at home. 
Ole Miss is kind of in the second half of the SEC West, so it's another chance for Florida to maintain the momentum. And to do so, they're going to get help from J.J. Schwartz. And there's been a lot of talk of J.J. struggles this year. And, I mean, he was hitting well below what we've seen of him the last few years. He hits that grand slam to close out the series win against South Carolina. Then he goes up to Georgia and starts uh, going deep to right field. And that's when, uh, you know, J.J. Schwartz is seeing the ball well, swinging the bat well. And if he can suddenly just maintain what he's doing of late and that pitching does what it does. And can't over overstate the importance of them having closer Michael Byrne. Uh, he's really mm-hmm. come on. He's uh, threatening the school record for saves in a season with three weeks to go. And he's really solidified the back end of that bullpen, which was a big concern for the Gators going into the season. So so they're in a great position right now. They just need to keep playing well. And, uh, you know, they're in the hunt there for the SEC uh, East title and the overall league crown if they keep this up. And before we wrap, let's talk some softball real quickly. Clinched another SEC championship this weekend at Tennessee, third in a row, uh, winning it at such a high level it almost seems unfair. And now coming home for a senior weekend, it's a relatively – pressure-free senior weekend because the SEC is already in the books and now they get to come home and finish out strong before going to the tournament. Yeah, it's, it's a little different having a, your final senior uh, uh, series, uh, a non-conference series, mm-hmm. being uh, North Texas this week. But um, you obviously had your conversation with, uh, with Delaney Gorley. Um, I have a story about Delaney Gorley where I, I talked to her mother and talked to her high school coach. And uh, it's funny because um, she apparently was a very, very good club player, obviously, at, at, as an eighth grader. And this high school coach by the name of Joe Coda out in the San Diego area, he um, all he kept hearing was about this this pitcher who was coming. And he, he said, oh, well, I had parents all the time come up to say, oh, you're getting a really good mm-hmm. player, you're getting a really good player. And this guy wasn't really out looking at players. And then he gets this one player, and I guess one of the first times she pitched, um, she threw a rise ball that zipped past the catcher's mitt and put a dent in a, in, in a wall. <laughs> so he was like, okay, now now we really got something going on. And, of course, she went on to set the uh, strikeout record in the state of California. And so the senior class of Delaney Gorley, of Justine McLean, of Chelsea Herndon, um, you and I were in uh, um, Oklahoma City when all three of those players made monumental plays. We know what Delaney did in those in those two appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea Herndon hit a grand slam, I believe, against Baylor. Okay, one of those games. And then Justine McLean, if you recall, scored that winning run. Was it Auburn? It was Auburn. In a big Auburn game. And the headlines in the sure. OKC paper said, just in time. Or remember? Because <laughs> I, I brought that up to her when I was talking to her. Did you write that headline? Uh, or no, I, did, I, didn't, headline. I did not write that headline. But maybe headline. I wish I had thought of that. I, I don't know. What, uh, what postseason holds, obviously, for this team. I mean, especially they were the number one team in the country last year when they were eliminated in, in the Super Regional. I think this team is better than last year's team. And obviously with Delaney Gorley and Kelly Barnhill mm-hmm. in some really big games, Kelly Barnhill is going to be the pitcher of record. But Delaney Gorley has that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Barnhill, she hadn't been to Oklahoma City yet. Um, she had a great year last year but didn't get there. Uh, Delaney Gorley has that uh, – she has a real presence about her where – her demeanor never changes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that her teammates say about her and her coaches say about her is that she could probably have been a superstar here, which she, she was a superstar here, but she probably could have been the ace on the team. And really, when you think about it, Hannah Rogers was the ace. Lauren Hager became the mm-hmm. ace. Last year, Lisa Casio kind of – but she, her, she never changed. Delaney Gorley never – Very steady. Yeah, she was steady, but she was she was a really good teammate throughout the whole thing, and she deserves a lot of credit for that. I think Justine said this thing, you could put a camera on her throughout the game, 
and she always has the same smile on her face when she's in the dugout and the other the other players pitching and what have you. And, you know, that's a credit to her. She's had a really good time here. Everyone thought growing up she was going to go to UCLA. She said the minute she left here, she knew she wanted to come to Florida, and it was a little bit of an ordeal talking her mom into it because she was always going to be a Bruin. Mm-hmm. Um, but she came here out of, on kind of a whim and fell in love with the place, and what of an experience that she's had. I mean, she's going to leave here uh, with at least two national championship rings, and she's excited to have a, at a chance to make a run at a third. Check out the interview with Delaney Gorley, by the way, right after you listen to this, and check out Chris's piece on FloridaGators.com. And I know Scott's going to have some good stuff on the site as well. So we look forward to reading what you guys put out and look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ed. Florida softball has become the most dominant program in the sport over the last decade, and they've increasingly done that by way of shutdown pitching. That's certainly the case with this year's team, which leads the nation in ERA and features two finalists for National Player of the Year in pitchers Kelly Barnhill and Delaney Gorley. We sat down with Gorley ahead of her senior weekend where the pressure is mostly off as Florida already clinched their third straight SEC title last weekend in Knoxville. We began our wide-ranging chat with the California native by asking what it means to be part of yet another championship team. Um, it's really special. I mean, initially, you know, we start the season, we're like, let's go win SEC, let's go win another, another ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to do that and blow it out of the water like I feel like we did was really cool. Um, it was exciting because with this group of girls – you know, a lot of fresh faces that night. We were like, hey, Baby Gators, do you know what you just did? Like, you just got yourself your first ring. And they were like, really? And we're like, yeah, it's going to be so cool. And I didn't even realize that it was um, the first time we'd done it three times in a row. Mm-hmm. So that is really special. How much are the, are the rings a big deal? Is that a, is that a bigger <laughs> deal to some than to others, the physical ring that you get when you win a championship? Well, I think it's a big deal. And so there are some um, teams that get, like, the women rings mm-hmm. and i like the big the big <laughs> one because i'm not gonna wear it every right, day right. so when i can wear it to a special occasion i'm like showing that <laughs> the big thing off. Right. but i i think it's cool because since i've been here we've kind of preached and learned that you get rings when you win mm-hmm. you know we don't get them for participating anywhere if we go to the world series and if we win then we get a ring we don't get one just for going because you know if you're going to show off a ring it's going to be because sure you won the dang thing so <laughs> that's special to me i like to see our accomplishments like that and to be able to like wear them with pride. So that's kind of exciting. If we can dial things back a little bit, can you tell us about where you grew up and your family when you were growing up? So I grew up in Lakeside, California. It's in San Diego. Kind of is a smaller town. My parents went to the high school that my brother and I went to. And that's also the same as like all of our friends. Our parents grew up together. And so that's kind of like the town of where I come Mm -hmm. from. Everyone knows each other. And growing up, my brother and I played sports together. I can probably blame a lot of my tomboyness on him. (laughs) We're always in the front yard and having competitions on who can throw the ball the farthest. Or he would make me ride my bike down the hill before him to see if I fell. That sounds dangerous. Yes, in which I would fall. And then he would see me fall and be like, okay, I'm not going to do it. So I was like, okay. You were were the guinea pig. Yes, I was the guinea pig. Um, So we grew up always playing sports, went to the desert a lot. Even trips that softball would take us to, we were able to kind of, you know, make some memories out of random states we would end up in it was fun it was a a good fun childhood at what point did the competing in random sports turn to softball when when did that become your focus so I actually started playing softball when I was four. Oh wow 
Yeah. Usually that young, you're playing baseball, right? I know. Well, and it then was they, like, and they flip you over to softball. Yeah. Some of my friends started with baseball. I started with softball, and it was just a little tiny field of, <laughs> of four and five year olds just running around. I had this. My helmet had a big, huge um, ladybug spray painted on it, <laughs> and it was like all I cared about was the snacks after the game. Like I just had so much fun. I didn't even know what was going on. What was what was the the go to snack? What were you most excited about a post game oh snack? Oh my gosh, my, I don't even know. Like that's how I am now. I I'm a <laughs> snacker, and so like I would see the goodie bag of snacks and be like, oh my gosh, we get snacks, and I'd open it and it would be like fruit or something, and I'd be so <laughs> excited. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. Right, which is weird though because like it sounds like I didn't ever eat, but like <laughs> we always had snacks at my house and the car everywhere. We had <laughs> snacks, and so that was fun. Um, so I started with softball. I did play soccer too. Um, growing up, I got into club soccer and then I kind of was in club softball too, travel softball mm. and I had to choose. So I chose softball. At what point did you focus on pitching? Were you always interested in pitching or did that come later? It came a little bit later. I probably started when I was about 10. All I did, I chucked the ball as hard as I could when <laughs> I started pitching. And so <laughs> most kids do. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then I was like, you know, I, I don't want to pitch. I wanted to catch. And my mom was like, you're you can throw it really hard. Like you're a good pitcher. Let's just send you to a pitching coach and see what happens. So I ended up going um, to my first pitching coach, Susie Woods, and she taught me my infamous changeup. And so since then, so I was probably like 11, 12. And since then I was like, okay, this is really fun because I would throw the ball as hard as I could. And then I would get the little changeup sign. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is the first pitch I learned. This is so fun. And it's crazy because now even when I get the changeup sign, I'm like, Yes, like, let's do it again. You still get excited about yes, it. Yes, I still get excited. At the time, were a lot of people throwing change-ups like that, or was that something that differentiated you when you were able to throw that off-speed pitch so effectively? I don't think there were that many. So I was still in rec ball when I learned it, and then I went over to travel ball, and there was um, pitchers with change-ups and stuff. But really for a while when I was pitching growing up, I just kind of did my thing, and my mom was like, wow, that was a great game. And I'd be like, yeah, that was cool. What about now? And she's like, that was cool. That's what you have to say. Like, you just did that. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, all pitchers do that. And she's like, no, like, you don't really see kind of what you're doing out there. And I'm like, so, I don't know. I think that's why I'm kind of humble now is I always thought this is what pitchers do. You pitch, you get batters out, and, like, that's your job. And so when I was doing it growing up, um, I, I did have a lot of success with it, I guess, more than other pitchers. But in the moment, I kind of didn't see that. And I just did my own thing and focused on myself and was just rolling with it. Why is the change? Like, why did you like it so much? Why did you take to it? Was it getting people out <laughs> off balance, having batters look so foolish when they're trying to, to hit that change up? I think that, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I feel so bad saying this, but I just love the way I can fool a hitter. If I can mess up their swing that much, I'm like, heck yeah, that's fun. Like, let's keep <laughs> doing that over and over. So... That's probably why I loved it right away. So growing up outside San Diego, how does Florida come into the picture? When did that become a possibility, and and why did you pursue being a Gator? Recruiting started becoming pretty heavy my freshman year, high school. And then I had – my coach told me that – Coach Walton had talked to him. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, you know, let's go take a visit. Um, I had never – I think I've been to Florida. I don't even know if I'd been here until my first visit here. And then we started playing the Orlando tournament Mm -hmm. and travel ball. So I don't think I'd ever even been – to the state itself and so I was like let's just go check it out and my dad he has one of his like work competitors they're really strong in Florida and he was telling my mom he's like you know what 
I know she's going to love it. Like, I don't even want her to take a visit because I know she's going to love it and it's really far. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, I came anyway and I checked it out and I just loved it. I think I know a big part was the college town of Gainesville because we don't have that in California. There's mm-hmm. so many things to do out there, pro teams, museums, like sure. see, all that. And so came here and the college town atmosphere was something that I had always wanted because you see that in movies and stuff. Right. And so that was cool. And then hearing about Gator Nation, I wanted to be a part of it. And now that I am, it's totally amazing. Um, and so those things drew me in. Coach Walton drew me in the program. Um, and then even when I got here, this is like a hometown feel. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have at home. And so it was all really comfortable. You know, he has done a really good job at keeping this team family oriented, even though we're not blood related family. Mm-hmm. This is what we are. It's what we preach here and what we have become. And so... It's just been a really good fit. You were the first lefty that Coach Walton ever signed. Was there some sort of convincing process for you? Did you have to sell him <laughs> on bringing a lefty into his staff when that had just never been his thing? No. I just wanted to come here, and I was <laughs> like, here I come. I'm a lefty. I'm going to come. We're going we're gonna to do some fun things while I'm here. And so that is really special that I'm the first lefty to be here. And then it's fun, too, now that it's my senior year and we have a lefty freshman. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like first lefty is gone, second one's right here. And so that's kind of fun getting to groom her a little bit. But, yeah, I was just coming in now and I was first lefty and it was, I was just enjoying it. <laughs> so when you came in talking about mentorship, you had both Hannah Rogers and Lauren Hager that were above you. Mm-hmm. In what ways did they help you become better? They were huge. They were both so crucial because they were both so different. Mm-hmm. So with Hannah, the way she went out here was phenomenal and so to be able to watch her and see her work ethic and her focus and her like will to win it was amazing and then being able to work with her in the bullpen and then even just be able to have her as a friend you know she's warm and calm kind of like I am and so that really helped especially my freshman year um freshman year struggles it was huge to just be able to recognize my struggle and see her success and kind of figure out how I can get myself there um she never made it a competition which was I feel like hard to come by Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of schools. And then as far as Lauren, she is like the fierce competitor with fire and so just like loves the game. And so that was cool because I am so just laid back. You know, I get a mm-hmm. shotgun. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> go Gators. Like, <laughs> and then you have Lauren who is just out there and is so intense. And so that was fun because she brought that out of me. and I didn't really know I had that. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of still had that carry on since she's left. Even in the weight room, she'd be like, get that 50. You're going to lift that right now. And I was like, you think I can press that? Yeah. And she was like, absolutely. You're going to be the best. Let's go. And I'm like, yes, Lauren. Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's <do> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel honored to be able to work with both of them and especially to have one with both of them. That It was so special for me. And you won at a high level with both of them. Yes. You come in as a freshman. You win a national championship. Sophomore, you win a national championship. What was the standard like that that set for you as you moved into being an upperclassman, mm-hmm. knowing what had been done during your first couple of seasons? Well, when I first got here, you know, Chelsea, Justine, and I talk about it. When we first got here, the first exam, we didn't really know what was going on. But if they told us to run through the wall, we were not going to think twice because <laughs> – you see this program when you get here, you're just, everyone is so bought in. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if they were to tell you to do something crazy, you're going to do it because these amazing players, these coaches tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so from day one, the work ethic that they showed us what they have and they taught us how to do it, that set us up, I think, for obviously for great things. That was why we won. We're This is a tough program and there's a lot of boundaries that you think you have and then you get here and you're like, 
you just succeed them way mm-hmm. past their limits, which is really cool. Um, and then even this year, being an upperclassman and knowing the standards, I can kind of see myself. There's like there will be times where there's a little thing, and I'm like, hey, don't do that. Right. And they're like, really? It's not a big deal. I'm like, I know, but this is a detail-oriented program, and it really pays off. Even on my friends, he was like, how are you guys so good? I'm like, because we do everything that you don't think about, and then every scenario that you do think about that will never happen, we still practice that. Mm-hmm. And so everything from the field to academics to working out to being people, Coach Walton really emphasizes being professional, not only in our sport, but even when we're walking around, you know, through airports, through mm-hmm. campus, you just – you need to be professional and act professional, and I think that really takes us a long way. This program has been at or near number one the entire time you've been here. Heck, for most of the last 10 years, it's been that way. Yeah. How difficult is it, not just having that standard for yourselves, but what that does in competition and the way that teams are constantly coming at you because of, of your stature? We get a team's best game every time we play them. And, you know, sometimes it's like, dang, you know, can't we just get a break for a <laughs> sure. second? But that's what makes it so fun. I think that's why we excel with that is because this is a team of really strong competitors. And so when we get a team in there, like, Hey, we're going to bring you our a game. We're okay. We're going to bring our a plus game. Mm -hmm. And so just that fight and that grit that kind of comes out of it is what makes us so happy. Easy games are boring. (laughs) Like we want to play the the tough games where it's battle, battle, battle. And then we come out on top Mm -hmm. because that like that fuels us. And that's fun. For you personally, I mean, you've had, obviously there's been a lot of team success, but individually, if we can just go over some of this, you've thrown a postseason no-hitter. It was the first one in school history. You got a win in the championship series, and then you got a save the following year in the championship series. Then earlier this year, you threw a perfect game. Of those, or maybe others that I didn't mention, what stands out to you? What, what do you think back on when you maybe need a little confidence boost? What's your, oh wait, I did that, I can do this type moment? When I do need a boost... I definitely think back to the two championships. So the first one, when I ended up getting that win, you know, they were saying all week, all week, hey, we're, we will need you, we will need you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, Hannah's rolling right through them, but like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so the joy that came from both her and Lauren after I got the win was amazing because I was just happy that we won. And then they were happy that I got the win. To like think back about it, it just makes me, it just, it lightens like my mood because I'm like, dang, like I came in and I did that and I had just, you know, been told, okay, we will need you, we will need you. And I was like, okay, just taking their word for it. Mm. But to come in and be able to show that I had my teams back, like they've shown me during the freshman year of ups and downs, they had my back the whole time. And so when I was able to come in and do my part, that was the best feeling ever. And then for the second year, same thing when Lauren's rolling through them. <laughs> they're hanging out on the bench. I yeah. know. They're like, call me if you need me. Yeah. They're like, we'll need you. We'll need you. I'm like, okay. So to get the save the second year, give me flashbacks to my freshman year. And when I was able to come in and shut down the other team when I needed to, that's what I thought about the second year. And I was like, you know what? I did it last year. I'm just going to come in, do my thing, help my team and be the best that I can be. So when there's times where I'm like, you know, I just don't feel so hot right now. Mm-hmm. Something's going off I just stop and I'm like look at what you did two and three years ago like just look at it and I kind of just think about it I stop and I'm like all right you're fine (laughs) take a break and just go back to work and I know part of your your fight and your intensity comes from a battle off the field when your mom was going through breast cancer can you talk about that part of your life and how that affected you both on and off the field 
that was that was a shell shock because I had never imagined that. Mm-hmm. And it's very ironic because growing up, she was a very big uh, breast cancer supporter. She always did this three-mile breast cancer walk. She raised a ton of money, did the walk. She always, if there was a pink anything that supported breast cancer, she would buy it. And we didn't even have any women in our family go through it. She mm-hmm. was just an advocate for it. So when she got diagnosed, it was scary. It was a little crazy. But I was sitting, mm-hmm. we were sitting in the kitchen. We were talking about it. She told my brother and I. And this is this is before college. Yes, this is my freshman year of high school. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so thinking about it now, I would have never asked this. But freshman year high school me, I was like, oh, my gosh. So, like, does this mean you're going to die? Because I, I, I had no idea about sure. cancer sure. or anything. And she was like. No, you know, I'm going to get chemo. I'm going to get radiation. I'm going to, we're going to go through all the processes and like, I'm, I'm not going to die. I'm going to make it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. You're going to make it. It'll be okay. It was scary. Mm-hmm. And to see she was weak. She was not feeling good. So there are a few times in the chemo room and she just had to sit there for five hours while the chemo just ran through her. And it was really hard. Um, she, you know, it was nauseous all the time. Couldn't, mm. her taste buds were gone. Just feeling like not good. And then, so my brother, he was a senior in high school. I was a freshman when this happened. And he had a football game Friday night. She made it. She did the walk. Wow. The 60 mile walk while going through <laughs> chemo. Made it to my brother's football game and still had the biggest smile. And I, I was like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you going through chemo? Mm-hmm. How are you going through chemo and doing a 60 mile walk? all through San Diego, the hills, the everything. Mm. I'm like, and now you're at my brother's football game. Like you are a superwoman. Like, how <laughs> are you doing this? And she didn't not want to see us see her get weak. Mm-hmm. And so that has carried a lot throughout our family. And so if I'm having a bad day out here, I never want to, you know, seem weak to her because I'm like, look at what she can do. And mm-hmm. I'm like, if she, she can go through all that. She made it. She's cancer free now. Um, she can lose the long head of hair she had Mm -hmm. and go through all that, go through the looks of being bald, a bald woman. Then like she can do that. I can, I can do go through any struggle here because there's so many struggles that other people are going through that you don't think about. Sure. So is that why you, I mean, you always have a smile on your face Yeah. and I've, I've wondered what is she thinking about during, there's a pressure situation. You're at the world (laughs) series every, you know, there's, Millions of people watching you and, and yet still smiling and, yeah. and still seemingly happy all the time. It, is that what you're thinking about? What makes you smile all the time when you're out on the field? Well, I just think I'm like, so I watched her fight and she too was feeling the worst she could feel. And she was still pushing, still smile. Like she was still herself, still mm-hmm. my same mom. And so when I get situations out here, I'm like, why am I going to stand out here and kind of look flustered why am I going to have this batter see me look flustered like there's no way I'm going to get through this whatever the situation I'm going to get these three outs and we're going to we're going to be fine so I think that has had a big impact um and it's carried over to softball because if I get any situation I'm not going to let the hitter see me struggle Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep my composure and I'm going to keep working and get out of it we talked earlier about mentorship coming from the upperclassmen when you were a freshman now, and this is what happens when you go through a whole career, it's flipped. Now, you're the mentor to three younger pitchers, and specifically two All-Americans in Kelly Barnhill and Alicia Casio. What has that been like for you? What, what wisdom do you feel that you've imparted on them, and how much of that comes from what you were taught when you were in their same position? It is weird being on this side now. Because <laughs> um, even last year, we last year during Supers, 
um, actually, when Kelly and I were both warming up together during game two, mm-hmm. I was like, hey, Kelly, how do you feel? Do you feel good? She's like, yep, I'm good. I'm like, okay, because don't get down. Don't ever get down one second because I've experienced it. We will need every single pitcher. We just, I just need to keep reminding them, keep them up because it is easy to fall in your head. It's easy to get down. And so last year, that's what I said to Kelly. I said, Kelly, stay up because we will need you. Um, you know, whatever last year happened. And that was that. But even this year, Kelly's had a great year. And so then when I'm with Lily in the bullpen, I'm like, hey, how are you doing today? And she's like, good, you know, whatever. And we'll just have small talk. And I'm like, stay up. Like, we need every single player on this team. And we've already shown it in games earlier this season. Mm-hmm. And so same with Katie Cronister. If I can just show them and have them trust in what I'm saying, um, we're going to be good. And so far they've, they've been trusting me. And we've, we're close staff. And so that makes it a lot easier, too, to just be like, Hey, what's going on? You know, let's let's mm-hmm. tell me what you're feeling, and then we just right then and there we kill it in positive vibes. So that's good. We talked earlier about the changeup and where that came from. So I know this didn't come from Coach Rocha, but she's one of the unsung heroes of this program, <laughs> especially with what she does with all the pitchers. Can you talk about your relationship with her and how she's helped you grow from year one now to the tail end of your career? Rocha's great. She she is so caring because. You know, we're in the bullpen every single day for at least 45 minutes. And so she has grown my mental game so much as a pitcher. She can point out tendencies of hitters that I would have probably never noticed on my own. Mm -hmm. And just the mental game, you know, when to throw which pitch and why. And throwing pitches with a purpose instead of just reading the sign and be like, okay, I'm just going to throw Riseball to this spot and it's going to just do its own thing. Like Mm -hmm. to throw with purpose and to command pitches, she has been – really crucial in teaching me that and then as far as my relationship with her she's so cute she's like the mom of our team and she loves us so much she cares about us our personal lives we'll be in the bullpen we'll stop for a few minutes and she's like you know how's everything going got any boyfriends how's school (laughs) how's this and so catch her up on a weekly basis of Mm -hmm. just everything in life and so that that makes it really important because that makes it so much easier to trust what she's saying and to just have those um, strong connections with her as a coach. When you're off the field, I know there's a a big time commitment with softball in school, but when you have some free time, what do you like to do with it? I love to shop and get my nails done. Uh, I have neon nails right now, which is crazy. Very, very bright. They're very bright. I wanted a (laughs) summer color and they're neon and then I through, I was in the bullpen today, and I was like, oh, they match the ball. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> even, even more deceptive when the ball I'm leaves like, your hand. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I lo- I, I'm a shopping freak. But it's funny. So yesterday was our off day, mm. and we got in from Tennessee around – I think I ended up going to bed around like 2.30 in the morning. Mm. And this team, we meet at the field yesterday at 11, and we all go and we float down the river at the Itchentuckney River. We all float down together. And it was so nice. Hmm. You know, we were all dead tired, but we were just sitting there floating, and it it was fun. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I like of Gainesville. We don't have swamps and stuff like that at <laughs> no. home. Um, so the that swamp, was really good. The famous swamps of San Diego. Yes. Yeah. But they're probably like <laughs> rain puddles that right. we never have because it never rains. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's been fun. I've been able to do fun stuff like that since I've been here. Also, just relax. This is a big Netflix team, so <laughs> – yeah, just kind of chill or do some fun stuff like that yesterday, which was cool because our whole team was there. As you come toward the end here of your career and end of this season, you're kind of in the same spot you were a year ago. You're number one. Everyone is looking at Florida and you're breaking records along the way. 
But last year did not go according to that script at the very end with Super Regionals and that disappointment. I'm curious how much does that fuel the run this year? Is that a constant carrot to chase, or is that not connected to what's happening in, in 2017? Um, it's really not that connected. You know, this is a different team than the team last year. Not making any inferences, but this is just straight up a different team. And mm-hmm. so we can't use last year's struggles to file, fire this team because there's some girls here who weren't here for it. And so it's not even that much of a, like a conversation with our team. But as far as postseason, you know, every year our goal is we want to win um, a national championship. And basically we've said it amongst ourselves, like if you don't want to win a national championship, like you shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And that's the special thing about this team. Everybody, we want to win. And so, um, you know, we want to come to regionals, hot, super regionals, hot. We have – good mindsets for postseason and we just if we just play our game we don't worry about the hype the oh my gosh th- this matchup and this matchup mm-hmm. then we're, we're gonna be good we have good work ethic good chemistry good talent so so far we're feeling really good we're just going out with a clear head and we just want to go take care of business final thing for you this is believe it or not your senior weekend coming up Hello. when you sit back and you think about that what do you imagine is going to be going through your mind as you go through the ceremonies this weekend? Well, I had a taste. So when we were at Tennessee, it was their senior weekend too. Mm-hmm. And I actually um, played travel ball with Megan Gear there. And so that was kind of sad to even celebrate her senior day. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, you know. Right. Um, and so they recognized us three on their home field, which is really sweet. And so it's crazy because I feel like it was yesterday that we were celebrating the, the past three, three years of seniors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I feel like kind of going into it, like, I kind of forget that it's, like, I'm a senior. Sure. And it's weird. Um, you know, my family is coming out, which I'm really excited. And so I'm just going to try to kind of take it all in. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's going to be sad, but safe to say I feel like I've left a pretty good mark here in my years of playing here. And I've won big things. And so I have a lot of great memories to take from this from the stadium and from these memories, and I'll be back to visit. But, yeah, it'll be really sad. Delaney, congratulations on what's been an unbelievable career, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. We encourage you to check out the Gators on both the softball and baseball diamonds at home this weekend and come back next week as we'll break it all down right here. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the ballpark.